Hello and welcome to the Sasha Sessions, a Team USA podcast. I'm your host, Sasha Cohen, Olympic silver medalist in figure skating. Joining me this week is Himana Reynolds. As the reigning world champion, Himana is on track to debut skateboarding as one of three new sports in the Tokyo Olympics this summer. Welcome, Himana. Thank you. Happy to be here. Yeah, it's so cool to get to talk to you because you are a athlete in one of three new sports that's about to join the Olympic family. I mean, this is historical. I know the audience and Olympic fans are so excited. So tell us a little bit about, you know, skateboarding, your field, your discipline, you know, kind of what you're thinking about, about to make history. So there's a lot going through my head, of course, with skateboarding being introduced into the Olympics. And I think the first thing that really pops into my head is how I think that this is going to be an amazing opportunity for our sport to be recognized as an actual sport. You know what I mean? Because like anybody who think of skateboarding who doesn't know the sport really is like, oh, I don't really want my kid to do skateboarding or like I don't want my kid to just be hanging around the skate park with all those you know, what I'm kind of talking about. But now having skateboarding as being recognized as a real sport is like, I don't know, for me, it's awesome. It's like hard to explain how I'm feeling about it. But like, it's honestly going to be the the best thing for the sport and for skateboarding for people to recognize it as a real sport and to recognize us as like real athletes instead of it being a, a hobby, sort of say. I've read uh, past interviews of yours, and I find it really interesting that this theme that recurs of really wanting people to take skateboarding seriously, to see it as a sport instead of a hobby. And I came across a story, uh, I think you were competing kind of overseas in the Middle East somewhere, and someone approached you and said, skateboarding, is that a sport? Like our our son (laughs) used to skateboard, but he grew up and he's a lawyer now. And, yeah. and I guess your, your thought was that the general population knows nothing about skateboarding. And what are the misconceptions? Like, if you're not an insider, like, how do people view it? And, and what bothers you the most about that? Well, a lot of people, like, see in, let's say, social media and stuff that they see a skater skating a, a stair set or a handrail on a, on a school property, right? And all they see is, like, somebody yelling at them to get off a school campus, you're trespassing, you're vandalizing, you're all this stuff. And they don't really understand that like a lot of us, especially during quarantine and stuff, when all the skate parks were closed, that's all we had. So yeah, when I was in Qatar, we're on our way back and we're having um, me and my other teammate, we had Team USA backpacks on. And this uh, older couple came up to us and was like, oh, cool, like Team USA, like, do you guys play volleyball or something? And we're like, oh, no, we skate. And they were like, oh, that's an Olympic sport? Like, my kid used to skate, but then he, like, grew up. And that really hit me hard because cause all growing up, when I was in middle school and high school, that's what I did. I skated. And I went, through, I went to a private school, and all the teachers were like, all right, so when are you going to think about your future? When are you going to like, think about what you want to go to college for. When are you going to think about that? And I'm like, I really, all I want to do is go to the X Games. All I want to do is make this my profession. This is what I want to do for the rest of my life. This is what I love doing. And it's just, for me to hear that, like, oh, when are you going to grow up? When are you going to do this? It's It almost motivates me more to work harder 
train harder and kind of show the world that we are athletes. I wake up every morning and I work out. I go to the skate park and I train. I don't just sit on the side of the skate park and vandalize or do graffiti and stuff on the side. I, I go there with a plan to work my butt off and work on tricks and learn tricks and just keep progressing. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, and I, I've heard you also talk about how the Olympics is somehow this legitimizing entity. And, you know, certainly there's so many sports under the umbrella of the Olympic games and it's something Mm -hmm. that, you know, every two years for the winter or summer games that the whole world kind of comes together to watch and Mm -hmm. athletes representing their countries. And it's just this, this big moment. And, and how do you think that will help the sport of skateboarding and, and how do you think it will change the sport of skateboarding? So personally, um, speaking back in Hawaii, my family and I, we started a, a skate school and we teach kids and we, um, as young as like four years old. And when people kind of think like, oh, I don't really know if I want my kid to skate. I don't really know if we want them to do that. Like, oh, let's sign them up for soccer. Let's sign them up for basketball. Let's sign them up for football. Like, let's do that. Those are real sports. That's what I want my kid to do. And for skateboarding to be recognized as a real sport, it'll really kind of just get parents to want their kid to skate and want the next generation to skate. You know what I mean? And it's like, I think that's freaking awesome to be recognized that in that way. I was reading that there, you know, it's not unilateral. There are certain people that, that are worried that, you know, skateboarding has such a unique culture and perhaps think of it as a lifestyle and aren't so excited about maybe being under the umbrella of the Olympic Games. Do you know those people or what what would you kind of say to that viewpoint? I mean, everybody has their own opinion, you know what I mean? And I I know many people who are on both sides. So uh, what I want to tell those people is that yes, of course it's a lifestyle. Of course you want to be gnarly and eat out of a can at the skate park and sleep in the bowl and this and that. But like, you can still have that. Of course you can still have that. It's not going to change how you view skateboarding, but I think it's going to change how the entire world views skateboarding, you know, having it as a real sport and knowing that maybe one day my kid could be a professional skateboarder, not if he could or, but more like that he has the opportunity because if if there's a if there's a let's say he's 10 or 11 and he wants to skate maybe his parents are going to be like oh like you can do that for now and stuff but let's get you in a real sport let's get you going in a real job and then it just kind of lowers his you know like his his motivation to want to skate and do what he loves and that's really all like what life is about is doing what you love and trying to make a career out of that and i just think skateboarding is a beautiful sport that a lot of people should try to do and should want to do and not be limited to certain things, you know? I I completely agree with you. And I think it's super exciting for the Olympics to embrace a sport that has so much lifestyle kind of wrapped up in it and alongside surfing and rock climbing that are that are joining uh, the Olympic Games. Exactly. And maybe just so the audience can get a little bit of a better idea, you know, just to expand maybe the stereotype of what a typical skateboarder is or if he's like Tony Hawk. But you're 
competing in one of two divisions or two categories, right? There's park and there's street. Yes. Can you tell tell us which one you compete in and kind of what the difference is and perhaps like how you how you chose your discipline? Mm-hmm. So I compete in what's called park skateboarding, and that's with more ramps and going really fast and doing long grinds. And then there's street skating where you kind of you'll see exactly what it means, like street skating, where you're skating stairs and rails and jumping off high things. But um, I I chose park skating because in Hawaii, I grew up skating my local skate park, which has just a lot of flow. It's just all ramps. There's only one rail in the entire park. And that's just what I love doing. And growing up in Hawaii, it, I grew up surfing and skating my whole life. And for me, park skating is more like riding a wave. You're going really fast down the line. You're making your own, um, making your own lines. You're, I don't know. I just, I I love the feeling of going really fast and doing really high airs. And that's kind of just why I chose park skateboarding. So I want to go back to your, your childhood, your background. You grew up in Hawaii. You're part Tahitian. You're a skateboarder now. Your, your dad was a surfer, I believe. Uh, how does yeah. I feel like people must think, oh, this guy must be so relaxed. He's living the life. Uh, <laughs> and, and yet you, you're so competitive and have so much drive and this vision of what you, you want to see skateboarding uh, become over your career. Uh, can you mm-hmm. tell me a little bit about what it was like growing up in Hawaii and you know, why you chose skateboarding over surfing? Yeah, so uh, growing up in Hawaii, my dad being um, like a semi-pro competing at a really high level. Um, he wanted me to be a surfer, of course. Growing up in Hawaii, it's kind of just like an automatic, you surf. Um, when I was super young, he I was on a surfboard literally before I was the age of one, just on my dad's nose of his board. And um, I grew up surfing. And honestly, when I was at a young age, I wasn't into it. I just, there's so many variables. It was cold. It was windy. It was this, it was that. And when I was about seven years old, my dad introduced me to a skateboard. And I instantly fell in love with it. I would just be skating in my driveway, skating on the curbs in the street, just all the time. And my dad would take me to skate park every day, but I never lost the, like I never stopped surfing. I'd continue to surf and I actually competed in surfing all growing up and in high school. And it just kind of was like a back and forth. I fell in love with competing and skateboarding a lot more just cause it's just what I like to do. I chose surfing to be my fun hobby sport. And yeah, I just, just all growing up, surf, skate. I'd go jump in the water early in the morning with my dad. And then he'd take me straight to the skate park. Then when it gets too hot, we go jump in the water again. And then later on in the evening, we go back to the skate park. And it was just like a back and forth kind of thing. And that's just, it was honestly a dreamline growing up there. I I bet many people listening are envious right now. Uh, (laughs) How do you think your background in surfing has influenced your skateboarding abilities or style? I feel like it definitely influenced it a lot just considering park skateboarding is a lot of flow and a lot of speed and kind of drawing your own lines. Like if you watch any park event, you will not see two skaters have the exact same line. They will be dropping a different place, doing a different trick there, a different trick over here. And you, for me growing up surfing and kind of drawing my own lines on a wave really helped me when I go to a new skate park for an event. I will show up and kind of just figure out my lines pretty quickly and figure out the flow of the bowl. And yeah, that's just how 
that's how surfing is because not every no two waves are the exact same. I mean, unless you go to the wave pools and stuff like that. But and for people that maybe don't know what a line is when you're drawing a line in the bowl, like what do you, what is that? How do we visualize that? So drawing a line in a bowl is pretty much, I'd say it's like a like a painter. Let's say he has a canvas and he wants to paint, but he doesn't know what he exactly he wants to do, but he has an idea in his head. So he'll draw the lines out. And that's exactly how it is with skateboarding is the, let's say the bowl is our, or the park is our canvas and we're the painter. We like to drop in and figure out the lines of the bowl and the flow of the bowl and like where I want to hit a certain trick. And that leads into the next trick and then the next trick and the next trick in a, in a kind of creative and way that is personal to me. And how much of your routine, I don't know if it's a routine, I grew up in a world of figure skating, so that's the <laughs> term that comes to mind. Um, but how much of it is spontaneous and how much of it is uh, choreographed? So we, going into a contest, we get a certain amount of practice. And in those practices, when we want to try to figure out, you say routine, we, we call it like a run, I'd say. So in our run, we want to know exactly what we're going to do. That's what, that's how... You get you get a successful score, eighty percent of ninety percent of the time. Uh, there's a lot of guys who don't know their runs and will drop in for the contest and be very spontaneous. But for me, I like to draw out my lines and know exactly what I'm going to do on which wall, which speed I want to take, everything. So when the contest does come, I'm not freaking out and get lost in the bowl. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like I like to I like to drop in and know exactly what the wall is going to be next, and after that, and after that, and after that, and what trick is coming. That's what I'm hoping for. But skateboarding sometimes has – your skateboard sometimes have a has a different plan. Like let's say I do a trick and I land too low on the wall and I don't have enough speed for the next trick I have planned. Then I'll be spontaneous and do kind of um, improvise. Got it. So, But yeah, more often than not, any event that you see of me doing a run is um, drawn out and – practice over and over and over. <laughs> not not too dissimilar from figure skating. Uh, and another thing that I found another parallel is you're part of a judge sport. And mm -hmm. I don't know if this happens in skateboarding, but in figure skating, there have been a series of judging scandals over the years of certain mm -hmm. judges from certain countries favoring, you know, their own athletes, giving them higher scores or colluding with other judges. And it, it's very different than me in, you know, in a time sport like swimming where it's, it's pretty objective. And if you're the fastest, you're mm -hmm. the fastest. Um, and skateboarding is, is not that. It's a, it's a judge sport. It's a style sport. Mm -hmm. It's subjective. And I wanted to get your opinion on you know, if there's much controversy within judging outcomes or if it, if it doesn't really have that reputation. It definitely has the controversy side of judging, but like what we're our judging criteria is the basic is speed, power, and flow. And then you add like creativity and difficulty of tricks. So when you're thinking of your line, you want to do as many hard tricks as you can, but without falling. So pretty much if you fall in a run, um, you usually have time to get back up and continue skating but if you fall in your run you will be marked off a lot but going back to judging criteria and stuff it's there's a lot of controversy because especially with skating how it's 
like one guy might have a better style, but the other guy has harder tricks. It all just comes down to the judges and what they think is the best skating in that day. And at the end of the day, you can complain like, oh, he should have won or he should have won or he'd skated harder, this or that. But at the end of the day, it's the judges call, you know what I mean? And you can't really do anything about it. I know all too well. <laughs> <laughs> and would you describe yourself as like, what are your strengths? Is it in the style, um, the creativity or like in the technical abilities and, and how difficult uh, your tricks are? Uh, I feel like personally, I try to have, try to make it all of those things, but I think um, my personal strengths are um, style and consistency because I I grew up kind of skating contests and ever since I was eight years old, I've been competing all over the world and trying just to, you know, just competing and just like going over my runs over and over and over. So that way the when the contest comes, I know exactly what I'm doing. I'm going to stay on my feet and try to get the best score I can. That makes sense. In skating, the different athletes, and you know, and I guess in all sports, everyone has their strength. And mm-hmm. ultimately, every competitor is different. And in, within a judge sport, you kind of have to hope that you have the right balance and the judges kind of mm-hmm. value what, what you're strong at. I want to go back again to your childhood and, and your father being such a big influence mm-hmm. on you. And um, I know that when you're home, you help with your family's skate shop and you have a skate mm-hmm. camp. But something else that I read that was interesting is that your father is also your your coach, or at least he was, and and mm-hmm. and a huge supporter. So what's that like, that family dynamic? Because, you know, it's it's something that you can't leave the training day at home, right? It's, uh, you know, it's mm-hmm. your your family, there's history, there's so many other things present um, with, with a family member. And so for him to be your coach on top of that, what what is that like? Honestly, a lot of people say like, oh, how do you do that? Or like, I could never do that with my dad. And it's just, it comes down to just how close my dad and I are. And he has been there through everything. I think he missed one contest in my entire life. And that was just because it was all the way in Qatar, you know? So it was, it was just hard for him to get there. But other than that, he's been to China with me. He's been to Brazil. He's been to everywhere I've ever been for every single contest. And it's amazing. I love it. I love that he's there. I love that he's pushing me. And I, I love the fact that he's my dad and my coach. And it have he has the support of a father, but also the push of a coach. And I have the, the mentality of like, okay, I'll take your advice. But then I also have the comfortability to be like, okay, that's kind of dumb. What are you talking about? You know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, it's a, it's a good it's a good balance and obviously you know there's no one that cares more about your career and has kind of been with you from the beginning and you know I think something that maybe people don't always realize and you know there's so many different styles of coaches and coaching you know ultimately they there's the tough love kind you want someone that brings out the best in you but you also want someone that really knows you and mm-hmm. you know knows when to push knows when to to stand back a little bit because so many of these moments right comparing for the uh, preparing for these huge competitions is like you might mm-hmm. be physically ready, but how do you prime yourself Mentally, to get mm-hmm. in the the mental state to to be at your peak and do your best? Mm-hmm. And and I guess I want to ask you what your mental preparation is like. Do you meditate, visualize? How do you get in the zone and and really ready to to compete at your best? So 
I'm mainly a visual. I like to I like to visualize what my run is going to be like, what it's going to feel like if I land my run, if I get the score, if I win. That's what I want to put myself in. And a lot of times it it, it can it can be hard too, especially because you're there watching the other people skate and watching the other people do their best and land an insane run. And it, it and and there's all these people like cheering for you or cheering for them and this and that. There's so many things going on and what I like to, how I prepare for it is like, of course, I'll get the pregame jitters, so to say, and, and get a little nervous and like see all the people and see everybody skating hard. And then I kind of just sit down and just think about why I skateboard, why I love it, why I'm here. It's because I, I, I love skateboarding. This is what I want to do. This is what I want to be. I want to just skateboard. And competitions and winning and that that's all, that's a bonus, you know? I just want to ride my skateboard. So right before I drop in for my run, I think about that. And I'm like, I love skateboarding. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go out and have fun and do my run to my best of my ability and see what happens, you know? And as you've gotten older and and more aware and continued to progress up the ranks, you know, how has the pressure increased? Because yes, I think, you know, every athlete every olympic hopeful starts because they just love it and there's mm-hmm. so much joy and then over time the the pressure and the expectations kind of creep in mm-hmm. you know you got an olympic moment or opportunity every 4 years mm-hmm. and the the expectations and you know what if you slip or your skateboard goes mm-hmm. a little to the right instead of you know the way yeah. you intended and since you were like a little kid on a skateboard to the guy that you are now how has that mm-hmm. shifted and what you feel like you need to do for Team USA for the sport of mm-hmm. skateboarding versus that little kid that w- loved to skate when no one was watching and you could just mess around. <laughs> yeah, so there's definitely a line that's drawn between the competitive training and athlete and and work hard and this and that and and of course it gets hard and it gets rough and you're like damn it like what 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 am I doing here? Like I have to do the best that I possibly can, and and sometimes it can get down on you. And in moments like that, I really just try to like sit back and say, okay, like I love this sport. I need to go out and go go skate down the street, go skate a ditch, go have some real fun, and then come back to train and working on my five forties and working on this. And it's just it just really you got to just have that mindset, like we were talking about earlier about. Um, being mentally prepared and just kind of because because a lot of the sport is mental you know it, it is half of it is physical and actually doing this tricks and falling and everything and then half the other half is mental it's all in your head like can I do this can I make it where am I gonna go what's gonna happen next and I really just try to not let that happen getting in my head and kind of just remember that I love skateboarding. Exactly. Like, like it's plain and simple. Like I love this sport. I love riding it. I love standing on it. And yeah, it's just, (laughs) and if we were going to get more granular and, you know, some eight year old kid is, is listening and, you know, absolutely loves it and is starting to compete and is, you know, battling nerves or butterflies, what would be something specific he or she could do? Is it kind of like, you know, when a negative thought or you're nervous or you're thinking about the pressure or the cameras, you're just like, all right, I just lean forward on my left foot and, you know, put my <laughs> weight here, or I just focus on my breath. Like what's actually kind of going through your, 
your head or is it is it all a blur? Are you saying before a contest? Yeah, I feel like for for me when I was competing, if I was just really trying not to fast forward and think about, you know, the implications and how big the event was, I'd just be like, all you need to do is put on your pants. Like just put on your pants, <laughs> put on your socks, walk over there, you know, turn on your iPod. At that time there were iPods. Um <laughs> so so I kind of really tried to use um these these um kind of directives to stay in the moment and I'm I'd love to hear uh how you handle it. So how I handle it is um if I start getting jitters and I start watching other people's doing their runs and stuff like that I just I you're you're standing on the side of the course, right? You're standing there. And that's when all the mental stuff starts happening. Well, then I start thinking, I'm like, okay, why am I here? I'm supposed to be riding my skateboard. I'm standing here. Let me just stand on my skateboard and push around the park a little bit. Get the feeling of what it feels like on my board. Get the feeling of what, why I'm doing this. So, so I, I'll, I'll push around the skate park. I'll, I'll start feeling my legs stop shaking. I'll start feeling my body start um, mellowing out. And that, that's what it is. It's just riding my board. And that, I think that's amazing. I I totally agree with you, and I find it so interesting because I personally, and I know a lot of uh, friends of mine that are athletes, are most nervous when they're waiting, and it's yeah, like exactly. you can't do anything about it. And and as soon as you just like you know get on your little patch of ice or whatever it is you do, and mm-hmm. get in your body again, you start to remember. You're like, ah, yeah, I, I can do this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's it's 2020, and the Olympics have been. And the Paralympics have been postponed. We're, mm-hmm. you know, living in, in such a, a, a crazy world right now. And COVID has upended so many training routines. As of March, you were the highest ranked male park skater in the world mm-hmm. by quite a margin. You still haven't qualified for Tokyo. Mm-hmm. Tell us what that, you know, every sport's different. So tell us what that process looks like. And as far as I understand, the whole process has been pretty jumbled up with COVID mm-hmm. and, and qualifying events getting canceled. So what does it look like from here until uh, next summer for you? To be completely honest, <laughs> we have no idea. We don't know what's going to happen next. We are hoping that we have a couple more events. I know we were talking, we had a Zoom meeting with the whole team and the team managers and everything, and we're trying to figure out when we can have a national championship, when we can have a world championship, what events can happen. And we're still honestly trying to figure it out and how we're going to be able to hold an event because we won a national championship. That's just with um, people here. And then we want a world championship. But how can we get the every country together with the, with this whole COVID stuff going on still? And it's it's really still jumbled up and scary to think about what's going to happen. But what I'm really just focusing on is still trying to just prepare as if the Olympics are next weekend. I'm still just trying to prepare and kind of just keep my body strong, my mind healthy, and just be ready in case they say, okay, next month we're having an event. Because it could just pop out like that. If there isn't an an event, does it go off of the current rankings? Where where do you stand at the moment? And and kind of what do you need to do to qualify if, for instance, there are no events or, you know, if there's just one? Mm-hmm. They haven't really specified what will happen if there is no events. Just I'm pretty sure just to kind of be hopeful that we will have one and don't really think about the negatives. But if they do not have any events, I'm 
currently still the um, first place right now. So I'm assuming that if we have no events, that the top three in the current rankings will go. So I, I it's, it's just hard to answer that question. Got it. Got it. Yeah, that must be, you know, on top of all the uncertainty the world has now for the qualifying events. You know, it's I don't know if people really fully understand how much prep work goes into peaking at a certain time and preparing. So to have an event potentially just be scheduled last minute to show up at, that must be something kind of daunting to have on the horizon. It's definitely nerve wracking, but that's why it's kind of motivating me to not just chill and be like, oh, there's no events. Let's go to the beach. Let's hang out. Let's let's just chill and play some Fortnite all day. <laughs> but yeah, I just I just am continuing to train, continuing to work out, um, and just be ready if they if they do throw an event at us. And what does that look like? Every I, what I find so interesting, and I kind of had to stumble into this on my own is what training looks like when you're not skateboarding for, you know, we always called it off ice training uh, because we were skating and, Mm -hmm. you know, growing up as a kid, you think, oh, more hours on the ice. That's what you need to do more, more, more. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, it wasn't until I was an older athlete and was exposed to other uh, Olympic level athletes that I saw Mm -hmm. the importance of going to the track and running sprints for cardio or going to Pilates or mm-hmm. physical therapy and all these other things to help you be stronger and prevent injuries. Mm-hmm. And and I'd love to know what that looks like for skateboarding and for you in particular. Mm-hmm. So all growing up, really, I was just back and forth skating, serving, skating, serving. And that's what kind of just kept me in shape, sort of say. And as soon as the Olympics were in our future and we started competing at the a lot higher level, I started getting injured more and taking harder falls and just kind of realizing like, dang, I can't just skate and surf all day. I kind of need to figure out what, how to build more muscle and just kind of be ready if I do take a gnarly slam that I can just roll out of it and get back up. Um, so when I moved out here uh, to California, I um, had a buddy that I always see at X Games and he's a he's a physical trainer and he... I started talking to him and being like, yo, I want to get in the gym. I want to work out. I want to just start being more of an athlete, you know? And he is a surf skater as well. And he works at the gym right by my house called Nakoa. And we don't work on body, like bodybuilder, like muscle gain, like all this. We, we work on specifically building muscle around the joints to prevent injury. So that's what I do every morning is I, I work out to build muscle around my joints, doing certain exercises. And then I I still cross train and I'll go surfing all the time. Super interesting. How much is the cardio a part of your, your workout? Are you doing sprints or how, you know, kind of how long are your runs and how important is that for, for your sport? We don't do so much of running cause it's a little hard on our knees, but we do a lot of assault bikes and like intervals and stuff like that. It's always different, whatever he tells me to do, but we'll do like short sprints on the assault bike or we'll do like long and then we'll do like rows and and like climbing and stuff like that. So just cardio is really important because in a contest, we're doing our hardest tricks that we can in a one minute run and we're pumping in the bowl and we're like, so we have to have really good stamina. So by the last, let's say 10, 15 seconds where we're trying to get our hardest tricks in, we're not out of breath and like about a fall after doing 
50 seconds of our hardest tricks. You know what I mean? So, yeah. And you, you talked about as you were competing at a higher level, injuries were more um, prevalent. And and what what is the worst fall you've you've had or what the worst injury and how long have you been on the sidelines for? And I'd love to know just how you you mentally kind of went through that period, because I think, you know, people watching the Olympics don't really pause to think what it's like for this athlete when they've been sidelined and broke something, mm. because we, we, I think we channel all our energy and our competitive spirit through our bodies and pushing ourselves mm. and kind of measuring where we are that day. And if we're on track for mm. this next event. And so suddenly when you have a knee injury or whatever it is, all you can do is like watch videos and visualize and mentally train, but mm. you're just not really sure where your body is. And that's a really, really tough spot to be in because it's you can't control it yeah. i'd love to hear what injuries you've been through and kind of how you've gone through them all right so injuries do we have enough time for that no, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah so i've definitely had my share of injuries growing up skateboarding at a young age um there's been like just broken bones and concussions and this and that but going back to how we stay mentally let's say, okay, <laughs> is just like you were saying, we watch videos, we visualize ourselves skating and it, it, it definitely gets down on you, especially with like a bad injury where you're going to be out for two months or something like that. And you have to just watch everybody go on. It's like, what I usually do is I don't just sit around. I do not just sit around and watch the grass grow. I will, I will be out trying to stay at home and do workouts for myself that don't hurt, let's say, let's say an ankle injury. I will do like ab workout and, and kind of just like, just stay in it. You know what I'm, it's, it's hard to explain, but, uh, I just like to stay active with what is working at the moment <laughs> and just try to keep my mind healthy and my body healthy without losing myself. I think, you know, you're not alone. It's something every athlete struggles with and, and, you know, the mental health aspects that are a part of that. I think it's so important for people to kind of bring that to the surface and, you know, talk about the moments that aren't just when you're when you're winning and everything's going great, but the, the mm. tough stretches in between that, like, kind of get you between those points. Yeah. So I heard that you're part of a really cool campaign, One Year Out, with Ralph Lauren that is being used to support the training costs of, of athletes. Um, you know, I think a lot of people might not realize the financial strain that athletes are facing now. They're trying to get jobs mm -hmm. to make ends meet and they're losing out on sponsorships and training might be so much more expensive without their traditional facilities open. So can you tell us a little bit about that and how you got involved? Yeah. Ralph Lauren um, approached me almost a year ago now and they, as a sponsorship and they told me about the one year out stuff. And I thought that was amazing. I, was, I thought that's amazing because especially growing up on a little rock and having to um, fly to every contest I was in. And like it, financially, it was, it was really hard. And luckily enough, I had my parents help me out a lot growing up and have my parents there for me and supporting me. And it's, it's just been really hard with financial and this and that. But I think that it's an awesome campaign that Ralph Lauren is doing and it really supports the athletes and Oh my God. I just, I can't really put it into words how important it is to just be able to train and keep my body healthy and by, and get to these events. And I, I really don't have, I'm a loss of words because it's, 
it's just so important and people don't really realize how they they just see the events. They they see videos of us training or whatever, but they don't really know what's going on. And I think it's really cool that Ralph Lauren is doing this. Yeah, it's what it takes to get there. I think we've already talked so much about the injuries and the pressure and how much you train amidst the uncertainty, but to have the financial strain on top of that. Mm-hmm. These athletes, they go through so much and they're so focused and dedicated for this this dream. And mm-hmm. so again, I think that's a, a super cool campaign that they're donating part of the proceeds of, of certain gear. Mm-hmm. So very cool that you're a part of that. Uh, I'm lucky to be a part of it. I'm It means a lot that I'm a part of it. So I want to shift a little bit to some things like outside of the sport and mm-hmm. things that influenced you growing up. I know, I, I guess I read that you love photography. Um, you're quite mm-hmm. an expert uh, with a Rubik's Cube. You know, where did these hobbies or kind of side interests come from? Rubik's Cube, I couldn't tell you. I just was bored one day and looked it up <laughs> on YouTube, how to solve a Rubik's Cube, because I just had one laying around my house for some odd reason. Probably one of my buddies left it there or something. But I was, I was in the fourth grade and I was bored and I was like, hey, this thing's cool. I want to figure it out. And I looked it up on YouTube, watched some videos, learned the algorithms. And I kind of just memorized it so well that my hands know what it's doing. I just need to see where I'm at. I couldn't tell you exactly what algorithm or what to do, but my hands know exactly what to do. (laughs) And that was pretty fun. And it's a cool way to just exercise my brain and like do little brain games and, you know, and then photography came from, I was, I think a about 10 years old at a swap meet. And of course, my dad knows about digital cameras and he always shot photos of me skating and stuff. And I always kind of just thought photography was really cool. And I was at a swap meet when I was young and I saw this uh, Minolta film camera and it was $8. And I was like, does this thing work? Like, can I? And I, I asked my parents and I got it and I just fell in love with it. I just thought it was super cool that you had to know exactly how to shoot the photo. And it it took a lot of film to figure out what I needed to do, (laughs) like a lot of wasted film, but I figured it out how to shoot photos and what aperture I needed to be at the ISO and everything like that. And I just, I honestly fell in love with the fact that you had to, had to wait for the film photos to come. You can't just see it automatically. You had to wait. You had to, in, in Hawaii, we had to give it to Walgreens and they had to send it to the mainland and then send it back. So it took like three weeks before I could get my roll back. And I was always just so excited, like waiting for it, like, oh, let's see how it turns out. And it just, I always thought it was super cool. So I just turned that into a little hobby of mine where I just started collecting film cameras and just seeing which one works differently and which ones I like better. And then I started falling in love with Polaroid cameras as well. Like I have a good collection of old Polaroid cameras and it just, I have my entire room is just covered with film photos. Like in Hawaii, it's all over the walls and on the roof and on my door. And it's just, it's, it's super fun. Very cool. Very cool. Well, I just have a a few more questions and you're 22. You have so much ahead of you planning on multiple Olympic games. You know, over the course of your career, you've spent time training and competing with you know, veterans with athletes older than you, and of course, younger than you. What do you think really differentiates the up and comers uh, from from the veterans, and and where would you put yourself on that scale? And that could be in terms of physical development or mental outlook. Honestly, I don't know where I'd put myself because I would still say that I'm up and coming. At least I hope I'm up and coming, and I haven't hit my peak yet. But <laughs> um, 
I, I'd say I'm up and coming, but then you think about it, I've been competing for since I was eight years old. So it's 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 hard to place myself where that is on the physical scale and stuff like that. But um, it's hard to exactly know because when I look at it, the veterans are Tony Hawk, Bucky Lassick, Christian Asoy, all those guys, because those are the guys I looked up to all growing up and then ended up starting competing against them. And then now it's different because in all the Olympic events, everybody is under the age of 25. And I think that's pretty crazy to think about. when, Because when I was younger and I was watching events and I was thinking about it, like Tony Hawk was 40, 30, 35, 40 in those contests when I was growing up. And I was like, whoa, that's insane. And then now it's you watch an event and everybody's as young as 13 years old, <laughs> you know? I think that's really cool too to think about because skateboarding has no age limit. Like Tony Hawk is still, in my eyes, one of the best skateboarders ever. He's still progressing the sport. He's still putting out video parts. And then you go on Instagram and you see a you see a 10-year-old kid hitting a 25-stair handrail. And you're like, what the heck is going on? There's no age limit in skateboarding. <laughs> Cool, cool. And then I want to end with one question that I that I ask everyone that comes on, and and it's what would be your Olympic or Paralympic moment in life where maybe time stood still, and uh, you know you'll you'll always remember it, and it kind of shaped you in some way. When I was about eight years old, my dad took me to my first X Games to watch. It was my birthday present. I was watching the vert ramp practice. And I saw everybody working on their runs and working on their tricks. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. And specifically, I remember Sean White. I knew who he was and as an athlete and as a person just from hearing about him and watching his videos. But I've never seen him in person there before. And I'll never forget watching him work on this run, falling on a trick, multiple, 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 just completely like for hours just working on this run and falling and maybe getting it once but then falling on the next one and I was just watching how freaking hard he was working and how hard and how much effort went into it and I just it was something that I've never seen before and then the contest came around and he put that line together he landed the run and he won gold medal that year and I'll never forget just thinking like holy crap that's what I need to do to win that's what I need to do that's what it all comes down to is how hard I work and how much effort I put into it. And it's just, it was just a moment for me that I'll never forget that it just kind of like hit me that I was like, I know I was only eight years old, but I was like, okay, I want to work my butt off. I want to be there. I want to all my hard work to pay off one day. You know, I think that's such a great story because every, every athlete has their own way of training. But I think what mm. kind of unite the common thread that kind of unites all these great athletes is just their ability to endure and to keep pushing and to keep repeating. And so to get to see that, to see what it takes and, you know, how someone might deal with the frustration and just kind of be relentless about what they're trying to achieve is mm -hmm. super cool. And I've had similar moments and it, it really, really does shape you early on mm. in your career because you you know that it's not just these kind of shiny moments on a podium that you get to watch on TV, but you see all the, you know, the blood, sweat, and tears, the frustration mm -hmm. um, that gets you there. Um, so that, that's yeah. super cool. Thank you for sharing that. Of course. 
Well, we're wishing you so much luck and hopefully a little bit of certainty and clarity so that you know what the (laughs) process is going to look like for Tokyo. And thank you so much for joining today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's actually my very first podcast I've ever done. <laughs> oh, good. Well, I'm glad I could do that. You know, I was actually trying to <laughs> research and get to know you a little bit more. And I was searching your name, you know, in the podcast app. I'm like, he has no podcast. So now <laughs> the next podcast you do, uh, someone will be able to kind of research you a little bit better. So I'm, I'm happy to make that contribution <laughs> to the world. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. This was really fun. I appreciate you having me. Please subscribe to Sasha Sessions wherever you get your podcasts. You can find new episodes every Monday. Produced by Bigfoot Music and Sound in New York City. 